0: I hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. If you don't know me, my name's Rachel, and um, it's yeah, it's fun to be with you tonight. Um, We're going through this series called Get Ready, um, and the lovely John here he just gives us huge chunks of scripture to go through. So it's a bit of a Bible study tonight. I hope you're ready for that, but. um, yeah, it's, it's really cool to be able to share with you what God has been showing me as I've been studying the Bible, and I hope that it really blesses you. Um, can we just pray? Lord, would you anoint these words? Lord, we thank you that the message that you bring to us is sometimes simple, yet powerful. And we pray that, Lord, it would find its way into our hearts, it would transform us, it would form us into the people you want us to be. In your name, Amen. Um, so, tonight's text is Luke chapter 13, verse 10 to 35, and we won't have time to cover all of it tonight, but I want to highlight four aspects of Jesus' teaching from this passage. So, the four aspects that we're going to go through are the first one is the kingdom of God doesn't always fit into our religious boxes, which I remember I've left a prop. Um, The second one is the kingdom of God starts small but doesn't stay small. The third point is the kingdom of God has power to transform everything around it. And the fourth one is those who receive the kingdom of God don't receive it by chance or by birth, but through counting the cost of true discipleship. So let's just jump into the text at Luke chapter 13. Hopefully you've got your app. Sorted. If not, it will hopefully come up on the screen for you. So, Luke chapter 13, and we're going to start by reading verse 10 to 17. And this is a story about Jesus healing a woman on the Sabbath day. So, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God that the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, but not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, You hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? And this final verse, this shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. So there's three... Oh my gosh, I just had my phone go off. Sorry, that was (laughs) dad. Oh gosh, I'm out of practice. Um, So there's three key people to think about in this story, okay? So the first one is the leader of the synagogue. This is a grumpy man. <laughs> but um, he was actually a religious leader, and a synagogue, if you don't know, is a Jewish temple, um, and he was the person in charge of that temple. So he probably had significant social status in Jewish society because of that role, and he was very likely well read and trained in the things of God. But in this story, he was a little bit grumpy, and we see him turning away a weak and crippled woman under the guise of holiness. He even announced to the whole crowd, don't come here on the Sabbath, come here another day, (laughs) because you're just annoying. (laughs) Um, And really what his actions showed was that he was not ready to receive the message of the kingdom, which was freedom for the oppressed. Jesus came to bring freedom for the oppressed. But that didn't fit into his mindset, into his way of doing things. And um, his mindset was kind of like a box, like this. And everything he knew about God fitted nicely into this thing. And Jesus came, and what he brought was something that sat outside of what he knew, and he couldn't receive it. So that's the first person, the synagogue leader. And then the second person in this story is the woman. She was weak. She was crippled by an evil spirit. Um, she wasn't welcomed by the religious community. Instead, she was seen as a nuisance, but not by Jesus. Jesus saw her, and he noticed her pain, and he touched her, and he healed her. And as a result, she praises God. So that's the second person in the story, and the third person, of course, is Jesus. He saw the woman. He noticed her pain. He touched her and he healed her. And by doing this, he demonstrated the authority and power of God's kingdom to bring freedom. And in doing this, he also exposed the religious leaders of the day. He exposed them as false, as pretending to be spiritual, pretending to play the part of being part of his kingdom or being part of something that God was... Commissioning. But actually, they weren't able to see that the kingdom was right in front of them. That when Jesus came to bring this healing and freedom, they could not recognize it. And so he calls them hypocrites, which basically means actors, you're just pretending. The kingdom of God doesn't always fit into our religious boxes. And we can read this passage through the eyes of each of these individuals, either the synagogue leader, or the woman, or Jesus. So we could be like the synagogue leader. We could become set in our ways and in our knowledge and experience of God, and so much so that we're just not ready to see God's kingdom break out in unexpected ways. We're content with our nice, tidy box of Christianity, of what we know and what we've experienced or what we've been taught or the rules that we know about. So we could be like that synagogue leader. Or maybe are you like the woman? Have you been crippled by experiences from your past or by sin? Do you feel unwelcomed? Do you need healing? Or are you like Jesus who sees the oppressed and notices their pain and reaches out to them to bring freedom and healing? Maybe at some stage you can see parts of yourself in all three of those people, or maybe there's one specific individual that stands out to you tonight. But either way, we see in Luke 4, verse 18 to 19, what the kingdom is truly about. Jesus read out these words earlier in the book of Luke um, when he was in the synagogue, um, And this is the words he read out to the people about his purpose. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So when Jesus healed that woman on the Sabbath, he was doing that exact thing that he came here to do, to release captives, to set them free. And that is who Jesus is and is who he always will be. And that is what the kingdom is like. The good news of the kingdom is for the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. And it's also for people like the synagogue leader but only if they are ready to receive the good news in whatever form it comes in. In this story, it was rejected because it didn't fit the religious box of what they thought should happen. So regardless of who you identify with in this story, the most important thing to understand is that we might all have our own little box of what we think should happen, or how God works. But we need to be open to him doing something unexpected or different to our normal experience. So we're going to move on in chapter 13 of Luke to another story, but it's still teaching us about the kingdom of God. So Luke chapter 13, verse 18 and 19, we're going to read that now. Um, can you put that up on the screen? Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. So the kingdom of God is a kingdom that grows. Just like a small seed, or a small seed can grow into a huge tree, um, that's what the kingdom was like. And this is really important for the Jews to understand. Jesus was teaching them this because they were expecting a great Messiah with a great kingdom, <laughs> because that's often how they interpreted the scriptures. And when Jesus came in and said the mustard seed is small and humble, it would have been hard for them to grasp. It was unexpected. So, at this sort of macro level, we can see the kingdom of God, it starts small. When Jesus came, you um, see the kingdom of God is at hand. And we see it growing and growing through the ages. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But let's look at this seed in our own individual lives. In your life or in the lives of people around you. Um, I've got a mustard seed here. I don't know if it's the same one that Jesus was talking about. <laughs> Okay, can you all see that? It's so small. But how easy is it to miss a small seed? To overlook it or to see it as not very important or not that amazing. Yet within the seed is the power to transform a life, to transform your life, to transform the lives of those around you. And your testimony starts with the smallest of seeds that once it's planted will grow into something much larger and much more obvious. Have you been looking for a mature tree and failing to miss the seed in your life or in the lives of others around you? You see, the kingdom starts small, but it does not stay small. So, we need to be careful that we don't overlook the small seed, the small beginnings of God's kingdom um, growing in our lives and in our community around us. If we see the seed and, we, and we, what if we didn't overlook it and think, oh, that's really small, What is that really the kingdom? What if we saw the kingdom and said, yes, and we celebrate and rejoice? And we say, more, Lord, your kingdom come. More, Lord, your will be done. I love the verse in Zechariah, it says, do not despise these small beginnings. Zechariah 4 verse 10, that's in your app if you want to look it up. And I just want to encourage you, if anyone here has heard the message of Jesus and something within you has said yes, or you've just been drawn to it in some way, that is the seed of the kingdom being planted in your life. And I wanna encourage you, don't compare your journey to someone else. Celebrate and rejoice that there is a seed and trust that it will grow because there's power in the seed of God's kingdom planted in the life of any person because the kingdom starts small, but it doesn't stay small. And we're gonna move on in Luke chapter 13 to another illustration in verse 20, which is really similar to the mustard seed, with a slightly different angle. It's about something starting small and growing to something much bigger. So Luke 13, verse 20 to 21. He also asks, this is Jesus, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast and three measures of flour. It permeated every part of the dough. So this illustration shows us that the kingdom of God will go everywhere and spread throughout the whole world. It will begin in a small way like the mustard seed, but it will transform and change the things around it, wherever it goes and you can't stop it. It signifies the power of the kingdom. You know, like yeast mixed with flour and probably a bit of oil and salt is a change agent to change three simple ingredients into the most delicious carbohydrates possible. (laughs) And I'm just like yeast can change some simple ingredients into something beautiful like bread, which I love. It's so much greater and more delicious than just eating flour or salt or oil or yeast by itself. The kingdom has the power to transform everything around it. And I want to ask you, what transformational change is God bringing to your life and to this church community? Are you looking for it? Are you expecting it? We're going to keep moving on in Luke chapter 13. And this is the final story that we're going to cover tonight. Luke chapter 13, verse 22 to 30. Are you all with me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's read. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know You, or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now would be least important then. So this illustration, we've had this mustard seed, we've had the yeast, and this one's about the narrow door. So this story is not about being turned away as much as it's about being willing to enter the door. The door may be narrow, but it's open. And we have to decide if we're willing to do what it takes to walk through. And the narrowness of the door is God's invitation to leave behind our sin and to leave behind this world. But it's up to us to do that. We won't enter through this narrow door by chance or just happen to stumble upon it. It takes effort and intentionality. And we see in this story that many will partake at the table. Many will be exposed to the grace of God, but not all will allow it to change their lives. And Jesus wanted them to realize that now is the time. Don't delay to allow the kingdom to change their hearts. And don't rely on being a Jew, or don't rely on your Social status, or don't rely on the fact that you've been hanging around at church for so long that you sort of know the drill, or don't rely on the fact that you were born into a Christian family, so you're pretty much sort of Christian. (laughs) But he's saying, enter through the narrow door. Now, is this illustration saying that the kingdom of God has a limited capacity and there's only a certain amount of seats and you can't get in? if you're too late, because there won't be enough seats. Well, no, it's not. Is it saying that God is limited in his ability to reach every person? No. (laughs) But it is our selfishness and our pride and our desires for the things of this world that, that get caught in the way of us entering through that narrow door. They delay us. They distract us. And they stop us from counting the true cost of entering through the door. You see, we may hear the call, but we might have an excuse. Or we might find something more exciting, you know, when you get those Facebook events and you say, maybe, interested. (laughs) You know, like Jesus is like, come, through the narrow door. And you're like, interested. Just waiting for my options. (laughs) Um, Or we might just forget about it, you know those other Facebook events that you're like, yes, I'm going. And then five days later, you're like, I didn't go. Oops. Or we might be like the people that Jesus was talking to, the Jews, who thought their place at the table was guaranteed. They could just turn up whenever, whenever they were ready <laughs> and whenever they had time, and it would be sweet. Um, I just want to read a quote by a theologian called Ralph Wilson. He says, it's about this passage. Why can't they get in? Is the way barred? No, but we know from Jesus' other teaching that entry into the kingdom of God requires repentance and change. And many, many want the goal, the inheritance of the kingdom or of heaven, so long as it costs them nothing, especially their allegiance and obedience. And so they try to enter but they do not succeed when they learn the cost. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus uses these words, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. What is the effort required of us? For it's only by grace that we're saved, right, and not by works. So what does Jesus mean? And so I actually looked up the Greek word for this word, effort, and it means this word that I can't pronounce, agonizomai. It's also the word, What comes from our word, agony, actually comes from that word. (laughs) Um, It's also the word used in Paul's final words, which you may be familiar with, when he said, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I finished the race. And then another passage from the Bible which uses the same Greek word is 1 Timothy 6. And I'm going to put this up on the screen, hopefully. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 and 12. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And this is the word that agonets my fight, the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. So are you beginning to see what Jesus is getting at? It's not the size of the door, but the willingness of the people to do what it takes to enter through that door. And um, this, this verse in Luke 13, um, if we read it in the Passion Translation, or will also maybe explain it a bit more. So the way they phrase it is, there is a great cost for anyone to enter through the narrow doorway into God's kingdom. I tell you, many will want to enter but they won't be able to. Because of what they have to leave behind. Does that make sense? And when when I read this, it reminded me of Jesus' words earlier in the book of Luke. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So those who receive the kingdom of God, this amazing kingdom, this kingdom that starts small but continues to grow, continues to transform everything around it, they don't receive it by chance or by birth, but through counting the cost of true discipleship. What is the true cost for you to respond to God's invitation into his kingdom? Are you willing to surrender everything in order to say yes to the invitation? To enter through the narrow door and join in with this banquet? Are you continuing to say yes? Maybe you made a decision at some point. But this is a daily question for us to answer. Because the cost is surrender. It's all of our lives lived in total obedience to Christ. And it may look different for every single person in this room, because it's not a list of rules, but it's a life lived in relationship and in communion with Christ. That is the cost. It's not something we accidentally fall into, it's something that requires us to make every effort. So let's recap on the four points that I read out at the beginning as we just think through this fast paced Bible study of Luke chapter 13. Point number one, the kingdom of God doesn't always fit into our religious boxes. Point two, the kingdom of God starts small, but it doesn't stay small. Three, the kingdom of God has power to transform everything around it. And number four, those who receive the kingdom of God don't receive it by chance or by birth, but through counting the cost of true discipleship. And I want us to just take some time now to reflect on those things. So this is where we stop necessarily listening to my voice and we start actually tuning into what the Holy Spirit might be impressing on your heart for this moment. And for every one of you in the room, it will be something slightly different. But I'm just going to prompt you with these questions and I want you to dialogue with him in your mind. What boxes have you put God in? Are you open to him doing something unexpected or different to your normal experience? Where have you overlooked the small seed of God's kingdom in your life or in the lives of others? And what transformational change is God bringing to your life and to this church community Are you looking for it? Are you expecting it and are you celebrating it? The final question is, what is the true cost for you to respond to God's invitation into his kingdom? This is not necessarily about becoming a Christian for the first time, although if you have not done that, that is the best place to start, (laughs) to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. But this is also for people who have been around church forever. Are you counting the cost? Are you living in obedience to Jesus and communion with him? I just want to invite the band up as we finish. And I was preparing for tonight and thinking, Lord, What is sort of the thing that you want us to hone in on at the end? You know, like we go through all these different points and there's lots of things that we can take away, but there's one thing that I think that God really wants to say to us as a whole church community. And it's this. We have been too content... With our nice, tidy box from Kmart. Of what we know about Him, of what we've experienced. You know, we know the drill. We come to church, we go to Connect Group. But God wants to lift our expectations of what he is actually trying to do in this world, what he's actually trying to do through this awesome group of people, what he's actually trying to do in our hearts. We're too content with what we've already seen and what what we've already experienced. And it's amazing and we should celebrate it, but also we should press on for more. Because God's kingdom is a growing kingdom. God's kingdom is here to transform. God's kingdom is here to heal the weak and the crippled and the oppressed. God's kingdom is here to do so much more than we can ask or imagine. And this message is not to be burdensome, to put more weights on your shoulders in terms of what God is calling you to, because the power is in the kingdom that is coming. And it's out responsibility to surrender to that like we were singing before. It's our responsibility to look for it, to have our eyes open, to not be content with this, and if something comes here, we're like, it's not God, but for us to be spiritually awake and ready to receive whatever Jesus has for us.